My name's Peter Bryant. I'm the Head of Learning Technology and Innovation here at the school. And welcome to our final Networked Ed for 2015. And it's with great pleasure that we are presenting a panel about a project that started here at the school in late last year and ran uh, quite intensively through until uh, around about April this year uh, called Constitution UK. But what we are primarily going to talk about is not the project itself will be a critical part of this, but for us it's actually what the project sort of bore out and some of the sort of things that we didn't really expect to find when this thing started to run. The value of it lay in the capacity we had to reach people who were hitherto unreachable to us, taking real life questions via Twitter, being fed back to the people asking, and none of us asking, where are you from, who are you, all of us engaging with the questions on their face, no prior kind of status, financial statement required. And that was a really exciting moment. When this project came our way, this to me seemed um, like a perfect opportunity to um, take on a bit of activity which, which allows us to test some of the assumptions, um, contest uh, some of the norms of MOOC delivery, um, and to do so in a way which was very, very timely um, with the uh, alignment of the uh, 800th anniversary of the Magna Carta, uh, the Scottish independence referendum and the general election in May. With something like learning technology, there comes uh, a whole lexicon of terms that if you're not familiar with them can be confusing to those both in the project team, uh, but also more broadly. So part of my role and part of my experience was to, con <coughs> to constantly attempt to understand and define and, and think about what we meant by terms like gamification when this came up. But what do you mean people are actually incentivised to get points on a, on a website? What, who could possibly be interested in that? There's no way this could work. And to add a kind of cynical, but I, I admit uninformed, um, edge to, to understand the Constitution project. Why massive? Why did this need the crowd? What, what, why couldn't this be done by a group of scholars sitting in a room? I think what we were excited about was to try uh, and recontextualise what the massive means. Um, and it shouldn't just be um, a question of the number of registrants that you are successful in getting on, uh, on, an, on an online offering. Um, massive can mean, in our case, the million word output that, that participants generated over the 14 weeks. I think that's a far more interesting way of thinking about it in terms of MOOCs. What can a, a potentially small crowd achieve that is massive, either in terms of their output, their activity, or their impact? What kind of skills did you think people would bring to the platform to be a kind of responsible or, if you will, irresponsible member of this community? I was reacting to the elite community in which I usually worked and so was keen to embrace the different. So was promiscuously democratic about entrance. Now, I've always been temperamentally disinclined to believe that qualifications matter when it comes to thoughtful opinion. Mm. So for me, and it's worth saying at this point, we did do a lot of these tours around the country as well as do it in the studio, as well as do it in the technology <coughs> way alone. I wasn't really particularly caring about who was presented. Because I was the front man engaging directly, it put an onus on me to draw out the sense from them. We were absolutely keen to structure a project which invited as many people in as possible, 
and encouraged as broad a base of contributions as possible to improve the validity of the outcome. It was all about values. It was about engaging people around the issues that they care about and getting them to give us their considered opinion as articulately as they could on the, ma on the issues that mattered to them. Um, and, I, and I think that was, that was key, really. How did this project sort of create a, a pathway for participants? We motivated uh, our community by uh, clearly, outlay, uh, clearly laying out for them the timeline of the project. So we would end with our constitutional carnival at which we would do the final drafting alongside Connor, uh, Paul, uh, ourselves, other um, LSE experts. Um, and we're moving back from there, we, we would say we will take the top 20 uh, community champions and they would be invited to our final event. Um, there was a whole um, gamification strategy that ran through the project which um, mm. awarded people points for their contributions um, and we used this uh, as a motivator uh, to, to, to bring the crowd along with us and it worked incredibly well. We had a final voting week where we doubled the points and we ummed and mm. long and hard I remember about about whether or not this was the right thing to do and there were certain limitations of our platform that meant if we were to go ahead with it certain undesirable effects would be applied it was a really really risky moment in in the in the project uh, story um, but we did it and in that final week we had three times as many votes generated uh, almost twice as many idea submissions as had been accrued in the in the previous 12 weeks I mean it was phenomenal mm. absolutely phenomenal in this instance um, how what did you think was going to happen in terms of you know a broad this broader church of people yeah. were you just going to magnify yeah. the trolls it wasn't for me a question of what shall we do if this happens it, this is going to happen mm. how do we patrol it how if we patrol it how, how do we moderate this people were putting up comments on the first iteration of things like money should be abolished uh, yeah. Oh no, separate yeah, currency yeah. for men and women. Now, it's, and Snickers, but is that the kind of, um, if there's somebody putting three or four of those on a day, ideas, quote unquote, like that, is that a forum that other people want to join? Does it look like a serious debate? Whether, you, whether you're a legal expert or not, or whether you, you know, you've got sort of, the, if you have a minimal interest previously, but think, hey, this looks interesting, I'll have a look. You see that kind of stuff and you think, you know what? This project was entirely open and accessible. Uh, you didn't stop people from non-UK non citizens from participating. Uh, there was no age barrier to this. Um, so for me, what were the challenges and the benefits of this kind of open approach? We were able to avoid concerns about enfranchisement by never saying that we intended this to be the British Constitution. It was an input in a debate about the British Constitution. So we anticipated bending the ear of Graham Allen, whom we met, who was an MP much interested in these matters, who was doing his own, excellent in some ways, constitution as part of the chair of a relevant committee. We envisaged uh, a deputation to the speaker. We never envisaged a coup where we imposed our constitution, though we're asked about the possibility, mainly by the foreign press. And so we were able to avoid issues of legitimacy by presenting ourselves as lively contributors to a debate, not definers of the outcome. One of the excellent reasons for not excluding anybody was we couldn't prove 
necessarily where they lived or how old they were. Yeah. So, so we can't exclude, we, we say, well, we don't believe that you're 18. Yeah. Well, this, we, we haven't got that kind of time for the number of participants that we're talking about. Yeah. So, so there's a real pragmatic element to keeping it open and, of course, a very ex excellent um, theolo theoretical underpinning that Connor's just provided as well. Because it was quite open, mm. did you think you had different types of participation that weren't just people putting ideas and comments? So were people learning on the platform by doing things other than typing stuff? It seems to me that every time somebody leaves a comment or puts forward an idea, they haven't copied and pasted that from somewhere where they already thought it. Yeah. They've probably thought about that, what they're writing, perhaps redrafted a couple of times, no, that's not quite what I mean, rephrased what they mean, perhaps spoken to somebody else who's in their household or in their workplace, thought about it again, put, changed the idea. There's a whole discussion taking place that's invisible to the way that uh, a platform like this records ideas. So there's a whole learning and discussion activity that we never see, yeah. and we don't know the scope and scale of. Yeah. So in terms of what they learn, it, it isn't just when there's an expert intervention or an expert video uh, or uh, a debate and votes and weighing up this and this argument against that argument, that there's a whole invisible learning yep. experience. There's a radical tension between making knowledge and learning knowledge. Mm. You know, the ESRC promote and drive co-production of knowledge. But in a university, you've gone to an awful lot of trouble to know more than other people. So how do you manage that tension? And this project did it in the following way. It presented itself as the co-production of a constitution, which means we all started equally and we all produced an outcome which we owned. But actually, it was a sophisticated learning environment. Darren has used the language of learning so under cover of the appearance of co-production was in fact a lively, flexible learning experience, both from the professor and his team, the guru, but also from each other virtually and in real circumstance. So it was a classy way of getting people to grow intellectually without necessarily making them the equivalent of everybody else. Respect, but not equivalence. And that was the beauty of it, actually. In the end, the product mattered less than the process. Mm -hmm. You keep on referring to your community, but do you have any kind of knowledge as to what your demographics are in that community? So who, who was targeted, or rather not targeted, but who participated in the, in the project? The demographics for participants in the project are varied and, and in some instances are not what we would have expected at all. There is an age bias, so uh, overwhelmingly we did not engage uh, youth sufficiently around this project, so there is definitely a skew. Um, and there's, it's worth taking that into consideration. There is also, there was also a gender bias in the project, um, which I think um, w all of these biases, I think we were all a little bit disappointed about. Um, but they, they are what they are. We tried to address them as best we could through the course of the project. Um, to some extent, we were able to, to improve the situation with some demographics and not others. Um, we were looking at a kind of 65-35 gender split um, male, female. Uh, this isn't completely unheard of in, un, in online environments, but nevertheless it's disappointing that we couldn't do better than that. Um, and then the regional distribution. 
Um, as much as there were um, physical events located around the country, um, there was still a, a bulk of engagement from, from England compared with the other regions. Um, and, and why that is, is, it is an area for further investigation for us. Had I been in your place, I think I would have been um, slightly concerned about um, bringing together large numbers of people from different disciplines, different areas, who may not share the same language. I don't mean English, French, etc. Mm. I'm meaning the language to express concepts, the language mm. to express ideas. The, um, because we are talking about a fairly specialist area of knowledge here. Mm. Was there a, and I think what I would have been concerned about was actually people trying to express what might be the same idea using very different terms, using terms that are not typically used in the way that they were being used, etc. And so there's a sort of uh, an edginess of people really not understanding what was going on. Did you find that was the case? And if so, how did you address it? Failure to communicate to a wider audience is more often indicative of a failure to understand the subject you're seeking to communicate than it is any failure on the part of the person receiving the information. Mm. I really believe that. Uh, really, really good people who are on top of their field can explain their field. People who are not on top of it, hide behind jargon, are uncertain in their communication. So I'm not sure that any academic who isn't any good cannot communicate generally. I think mainly also we need to remember the Constitution is not a hard subject to communicate. So it's not sort of a field of intense jargon. And you don't need an awful lot of background knowledge to be able to understand it. It's, it's not sort of monetary targets or uh, sort of inflation uh, or even complicated aspects of social policy. So our, our field wasn't as hard as it might have been. To wrap this up, I'm going to offer our panellists a, a, a brief opportunity to say, what next? I'm writing a book uh, for Oxford University Press, relevant to say called On Fantasy Island, which is about Britain, uh, Europe, and the Human Rights Act. I'm going to publish the book in bite-sized chunks on a weekly basis, and then people are going to be able to respond to the book, and I'll be able to respond to them on a sort of on-the-run way, so the emails will come to them, but will be seen by the community. So I'm trying to work through this idea that I know more than you guys, but please let me know what you think and carrying the spirit of this project into something which is more traditionally a book. This is a project which through uh, its, its nature generated a huge amount of data from the community and I think there are interesting opportunities to align the research interests of colleagues around the school with a valuable teaching experience for LSE students and public engagement exercises of just this type that put universities back at the heart of their communities. Mm. Something that's deliberately international in scope and in its public engagement mm. is the most obvious thing. Uh, what that is, whether we think we can identify a, a global issue on which we want to attract um, engagement across the world, how we do that given the differential uh, ability to engage technologically mm. in different regions of the world, I think is a major, major obstacle or challenge. At this point, I'd like you to thank Connor, Darren and Paul for their uh, contributions Thank today. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.